Ryder Nation and William Powell bringing the energy, bringing the fight, bringing the fire every game day, every practice. Let's go, Ryder Nation. podcast your saskatchewan rough riders fan podcast thanks so much for joining us this week my name is alex i'm steve and i am still stuck in calgary so it much that well nah, it's calgary could it could it yeah, at least i didn't have to worry could, about a playoff game here could be better you could be in hamilton like steve is right now at the great cup so <laughs> steve bringing us the the goods from great cup week our, as, our uh, uh, on the site uh, correspondent <laughs> how do you I score that know. gig that's, that's garbage corresponding well I, I kind of i backdoored him an invite into the football reporters of canada uh party so he better he better take advantage of that one i i saw that but on the downside i had to follow jamie and i there so i uh <laughs> that leap uh if you trust me on one thing steve trust me on this don't follow around jamie nye <laughs> Don't ask me how I know. Just steer clear of him. Only bad things happen when you're around Jamie Nye. I will. I will keep that in mind all weekend. And he won't take you to any good bagel spots. Still one of my favorite Grey Cup moments of all time. You can give us a follow at Piffles Pod on Twitter. You can give me a follow at Real Alex D. I'm at Safamod. And I do not need your pity follows on Greg on Sports. Piffles Podcast is brought to you by our great friends at Dairy Queen on Elphinstone Street and Sass Drive in Regina. Check them out. Well, guys, it's a great cup week. It's not what we wanted in the great cup, but uh, nonetheless, we're going to talk about it. Time for the opening kickoff. So riders lose the West final in a very close game. 21, 17. It was close. Like we thought it was going to be. I didn't think you <laughs> no, know, anybody thought it was going to be a blowout. No, the, the score was close. Uh, yeah. The turnovers were not close. We no. absolutely picked the crap out of the bombers in that one. If but only on the battle that mattered. Yeah, we all know what happened. It was uh, the the riders' defense came to play. They made great plays when they had to, and the offense couldn't help them out. And that's go figure. That's kind of how the season would end for the riders with uh, getting the ball a whole bunch of times and preventing Winnipeg from scoring touchdowns. We've it set it up. We we had a championship level defense and a pee wee level offense. It, the, you could not have scripted that better. I I don't know what you guys are complaining about. The New England Patriots just proved you only need to throw the ball three times and win a game. That's probably what should have happened, actually. But the frustrating part to me about that game, watching that, you know, watching the Riders was actually more so on the defensive side because yeah, they had all those turnovers. But they were giving up chunk play after chunk play. Winnipeg moved the ball with ease. That game should not have been close whatsoever. So to me, that was the frustrating part because I knew that defense could play better. And I don't want to fault them because they had six turnovers. And they were the reason why the Riders were in the game. But they were also getting beat up pretty bad by the Bombers offense that seemingly moved the ball at will. But I think that those turnovers were also a blessing and a curse 
because all of a sudden, once they had five, everyone all of a sudden was in turnover mode and they weren't going for the share tackles. They were going for the ball, which is both <coughs> good and bad. If you can get, if you can take the ball away, normally that's in your favor, but we weren't scoring off the turnovers anyway. So make the tackle. Almost every, almost every one of those pun- or turnovers was basically a glorified punt anyways. It's not like we were turning it over deep in their zone. It was deep or deep in our zone. It was, no, hang on. Let me try that again. It wasn't like we were turning it over deep in their zone where it was instant points. It was deep in our own zone and we had to march the field anyways. It, I mean, what, what do you want? What more do you want a defense to do? I've never seen a game where both teams should have gone into halftime going, you know, we should be up by three scores right now because that that's how it felt. Winnipeg should have been happy. They were only down three, but they should have had 21 points in the first quarter and had not nothing to show for it. Oh, I, I think we all go ahead. I think we all figured out at halftime that this wasn't going to be the Riders game. I know I sure did because I've never seen a team be up five, nothing in a turnover battle and only lead by three points. And when you have a team like Winnipeg, who's clearly the best team in the CFL, and it's honestly not even close that was your chance to beat them. That was your only chance. You knew they were going to be better in the second half and not turn it over as ridiculously as, as they did in the first half. And they only had the one turnover in the second half, but it was just like, you know what? It's very clear that Winnipeg's going to win this because if the riders can't put them away now, they never will. And you knew Winnipeg was happy being only being down by three after five turnovers. Of course, they were confident coming out of the half because they tur- coughed up the ball three, five times, and Riders couldn't get any points for it. So Winnipeg probably wasn't sweating anything because our offense could not move the ball. Now, of course, the offense does have to take their. I, I, I'm not meaning to sound like I'm crapping all over the defense, but the offense. I think that was like that to me. The defense was a disappointing part because I knew they could be better. And I expected the offense to not really do much. And I, I kind of got that out of the offense. The two third downs at the end of the game going for it. First off, I don't know how the league completely botched that Duke Williams catch. And I say that in quotation marks. Hey, that looked good, look good to me. Look good to me. I don't know what you're talking about. Catch. But Absolutely. perfect call. I think we can all get over that one. But the second one, really, really I, I question what that was because you're throwing to a guy who didn't get a target all single game was used sparingly throughout the entire season. And when you watch Cody Fajardo on that final play, throwing it to Mitch Picton, he telegraphed it the entire way. He was Mitch Picton was the only one he was looking for on that play. It's not like he was the third or the fourth read on Rough Riders, that's what it was. That was the read. Whether there was pre-snapped reads, yeah, there probably was. And they're like, okay, well, Duke's covered by this guy. This guy's covered over here. They're playing man. So, okay, this is our best shot. Sure, okay. But Cody telegraphed that, which was just a bad thing. And you're thrown to a guy who hasn't had a catch in how many weeks? That one baffled me. And I, I don't know how they got away with not answering that to the media because that would have been one of my first questions if I had the chance to talk to Jason Moss or Cody Fajardo. Now on the 
side of that, if you if you look at it from the Bombers standpoint, you've got Keon Schaefer Baker, you've got um well, not Duke Williams, but you've got a bunch of guys in the field, and then you've got Mitch Picton. Who's the least likely guy you're gonna cover? Probably Mitch Picton. He's probably last on the totem pole for for guys you're concerned about with that play. So I wonder if some of that played into it going, you know, who are they gonna go towards? No one ever expects Mitch Pitch. Mitch, I can't even say that fast. Mitch Picton. But here's here's my favorite stat. Picton had one more target than Jack Evans. What was that? The guy yeah, who's supposedly was no- our number one receiver didn't even get a look the entire game. And looking at uh, Shaq Evans' Twitter over the last couple of days, I don't think he's back. He gone. Uh, and it's not just, I mean, yeah, a lot of people were on him over the last couple of games coming back from injury and not really putting up the numbers. Of course, Duke Williams was the, the receiver putting up numbers. And that's not a slight at Shaq by any means. But between him taking that from, from some fans and then not getting a target at all and him saying it's been real Rider Nation, well, that kind of says the end to me. And I mean, when you, when you look at his performance through the playoffs, can you really be mad if, if, if that's the end? I mean, one catch for minus four yards over two games from your number one guy, it, it, that's not enough. You need production from that spot. Now, again, he didn't get a target, but how much of that was because of mistakes made in the, in the West semifinal? How much trust was there anymore? Like it, it seemed like Shaq, like Cody wanted nothing to do with, with Shaq's side of the field. Is this our version of uh, Baker and OBJ? <laughs> like it, it made no sense. Shaq was his favorite target for the longest time. He, he forced the ball to Shaq so many times and didn't even look his way in arguably the most important game of the season. When you when you're getting the ball constantly from turnovers and you're not even throw even attempting to throw one at them, like that's it blows my mind. What you got to do is you got to take that money that that Shaq was making, add a bunch more to it, throw it in a Brinks truck, and back it up on Duke Williams' lawn. You need to sign him long term. Although, let's be honest, he's gonna get a look down south. And make sure it's his lawn, not his neighbor's. Yeah. I mean, his neighbor probably would never. Of course, uh, Shaq is one of the receivers on the uh, 52-man free agent list for the Riders. We'll talk about that on another episode, getting to free agents and and whatnot. But uh, the other thing, so obviously we know the Riders lose, and that sucks. But they put together a hell of a season, finishing 9-5. and Another home playoff game, which, I mean, is usually – a is usually a successful season. So I can't fault them for going into Winnipeg and losing to the very clear best team in the league. Well, Winnipeg is the best team in the league. Being second in the West is nothing to sneeze at. And plus the only teams that we lost to are Calgary and Winnipeg. Like we beat everyone who we're supposed to beat. We had a little trouble with Calgary and Winnipeg is just that good this year, unfortunately. We just got to hope Winnipeg has a 52 person free agent list next season. And we can even out these rosters a little bit and get back to <laughs> Winnipeg choking like they should. All right. So after, after that came garbage bag day for the riders and the big stuff out of that was Cody Fajardo breaking down after 
a very simple question from Rob Vanstone. What does it mean to be the Saskatchewan Rough Riders starting quarterback? And he said it's everything and broke down and talked about how he's gone through a lot with people. I don't want to say bullying. Maybe that's not the right word. Maybe it is. But going after him online and Cody seeing all the, the negative comments that he got through the entire season when the offense wasn't putting up points and how that just, you know, weighed on his shoulders and, and whatnot. And before I share a few thoughts on that, I want to get your guys' take on on what you guys saw from Cody Fajardo. Those weren't tears. Those were sprinkles of Jesus. Just too much sprinkles of Jesus built up, and they just came out of his eye sockets. Uh, I love Cody. I do. Darian Durant took a ton of crap. If Twitter existed back when Ken Austin was quarterback, God forbid. Being the Rough Rider quarterback is probably the most mentally taxing job in the CFL because everyone likes your backup, no one likes you, and they are loud about it. I think I'm I'm not in the Eddie Steele camp where Eddie is completely tearing down Cody's game. I think Cody has proven in 2019 and maybe was a flash in the pan. I don't know. But I think Cody could be a very capable starting quarterback in this league. I think he needs to get off social media because if it's going to affect him that much, being the writer's quarterback is not going to be good for, for his future mental health because let's face it, writer fans can be brutal. And he unfortunately is weighing down that going down that line. There, there's three ways that an athlete can respond to negative resp- or negative comments on Twitter. They can, they can go the Darian Durant route and tell him to F off, which I have yes. no issue with that. Like, sometimes you just got to do it. Probably not your best long-term career move, but I got no problem with it. You can ignore it. Or you can, you can do what he did and let it get to you. And it, it's I can only imagine, I mean, what he has to face on a constant basis on social media if he's reading his notifications – is probably disgusting. I don't think we can we can argue that. Some of the things we see, let alone what he'd get as an, as an actual notification, is awful. But you have to either log out or just do what, what he started to do and block. And just negative, block, negative, block. You don't need that crap. There's no benefit to it as a player reading that negative notification. But some guys thrive on the on the positivity. They need the the compliments on the other side of it. So how do you how do you tell an athlete to stay off social media while you know there's there's two lines to it? You forgot there's a fourth option. You can slide into someone's DMs and uh, tell them to keep it, your their name out of your mouth. <laughs> there's always other options. Yeah. All right. Here's where I stand on on this. First off, with the social media part, Cody. Get off social media altogether throughout the season. I think that for look at Bo Levi Mitchell, look at Michael Riley. They both they both basically wiped their Twitter accounts, got rid of their social media because of all the crap that they took. Now I understand he wants to be and is that very open guy and and wants to interact with fans. I think that's great. Do that on the Ryder account. Or conversely, have somebody run your personal account and say, we're only posting this, we're only posting this, and you never see that account. 
it's somebody else running it for you. They can read all the crap that people put on there. And just honestly, don't even look at the notifications. Don't even hit the button that says notifications. Just don't. But what I saw from Cody when he broke down and started crying showed me a couple things. One, he truly cares. And I think we all knew that going in, but this time kind of reiterated it. He truly cares and he wants to do well for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, for himself, for the fans, for the communities. He generally, genuinely wants to do well. It also showed me that he is missing that edge. He is missing the edge of a champion. And I saw Eddie Steele and John Rush talk about it. And John Rush, I think, kind of put it pretty well. Cody's a good quarterback. He's an above average quarterback. He'll get you to the playoffs. He'll never win you the Grey Cup. And I'm starting to lean that way because he's just missing that, Steve, you referenced it, the Darian Durant telling people to F off edge. Just that, that one little thing that says, screw you guys. I'm going to go out there and win this. I don't see that from Cody. I don't see him taking over that role. And that's not a slight against him. It's hard to compare him to Grey Cup champions, which is what he's getting all the time. Until he becomes one, he can't really be put in that conversation. But he's just missing something for, for a pro athlete mentally to me. I don't know. Do you guys see the, the, the same thing? I, I have to look at it on the flip side. You, you referenced it at the beginning that that the way he responded shows that he cares. And if he can, if he can channel that into onto the field, if he can channel that part of it onto the field, I think that's enough. And we also have to remember he's only a second year starter. Yes. He's been around the block. He's been in the league for how many years now, but he's still, this is his second year as a professional starter in the CFL. I think, I think, given time he can get there, but he's going to have to do it less on the, the, because there's two ways you succeed as a player. You can have that, that killer F you attitude, or you could have that, just that desire and drive to win for the community. And if he can go that route, I think he'll be okay. And I think he can get there. You're not going to get that killer instinct from him. But you saw it a few times this season where, some like stuff was rattling his cage. Like, look at that 50 50 ball uh quote he came off the field with, which definitely didn't make him uh, popular in the wide uh, in the receiver room because he, you could see in the games following he wasn't throwing those balls anymore because he didn't have the confidence in his receivers. Like, there, Alex is right, there is a certain edge to Cody that is missing. And it's, but it's not because he doesn't care. Like he, I, I guarantee you, he will lay his life down the line and get this team a win. Of course he will. We've seen that. Yeah, but just to just to basically say screw you, I'm doing this. I think he's going to second guess himself every time because unfortunately the fans have gotten in his head. I think a lot of people have took it a little bit too far, saying you know get rid of the guy. He's clearly not going to win here. No. I'm, I'm not suggesting that by any means. I think those people are completely out to lunch. I think Cody was in the right place at the right time for this franchise and has really blossomed into a genuinely likable guy. And how, 
how often do you see that out of your starting quarterback here on the Saskatchewan Rough Riders? How many, how many times do you see that guy that almost everybody rallies around? It doesn't happen very often. It didn't happen with Darian Durant, and he was one of the greatest quarterbacks that this franchise has ever seen. So to have, generally speaking, the fan support, I think is good for him, and it's good to see. I want to see him take that next step as a, as a starter. Now he'll get that chance, obviously, in 2022, and maybe having the full training camp and exhibition games with your starting offense kind of gives you that extra push and, and everything where it needs to be by the time you get to the season. But I just want to see that next progressive level from him in terms of that killer instinct as well to, to go out and just up his game. Because right now he hasn't upped his game from year one to year two. There's the opening kickoff presented by Kathy Festion of Royal Page Regina Realty. Let's get to the Churchill Brewing Company odds and end zones. And this is my favorite story of the week. Fight, 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 John fight, Murphy fight, fight. And the Argos. What the hell? I have a few thoughts on this. First off, BMO Field, to have the fans be right there as the players are going by to get to the locker room, the way that they had the players going was absolute garbage. There's no way they should ever be that close to the fans like that. No way. Something bad is going to happen at some point. And something bad did happen. So whether the guy, the Ticats fans spit beer or threw beer on Chris Edwards first to begin with is irrelevant to me. As a pro, pro athletes, pro, you know, vice president of player personnel, you guys need to know better than to not get in the middle of that. That said, somebody spits on you, fair game. You're going to be stupid as a fan and spit beer in somebody's face. You deserve to get punched right in the mouth, 100%. And I have no problem if Chris, if Chris, Edmund, Chris Edwards would have done that. I have absolutely no problem with him taking that swing for that reason. But that was just... You know, I, I, I get it. Like, yes, you should know better as a pro athlete. Just stay away. Just walk away. If somebody throws something on you, just close your eyes. I know things are emotional right now because you just lost your chance to go to the championship game, but just keep walking. But there's also a point where that happens so often to pro athletes that if you're going to throw something at them, they should have every right to fight back. And with what people can bring into stadiums, who knows what this guy might have had. So the whole self-defense thing, I get that too. So the whole thing, there's there's blame everywhere to go on this. The whole thing is ridiculous. And John Murphy getting into it and with what he said, and I'm not going to repeat what he said here on the show because it's absolutely filthy and just, just not appropriate at all. He deserved to get punched in the face a couple times, and I'm actually kind of glad he did. I couldn't agree with you more on that. I... I, I have a little bit of issues with most of what went down. Like you said, things happen, fights happen. Chris Edwards didn't need to throw a haymaker, but a guy got in his face, gave him a shove after that game, after everything, after getting spit on, throw down. No issues there. To John Murphy, to say what he said, and to there, there's all this talk of, well, it's the heat of the moment. If that's the kind of stuff that comes out of your mouth in the heat of the moment, that is a word you use regularly. I don't, I, I will never agree with this idea that something random is what comes out of your mouth heat of the moment. Like when I get mad, 
I go to the least common vocabulary that my, my vocabulary shrinks to like seven words and it's words I'll say often. I, I don't get this idea that, oh, it's heat of the moment. He, you know, he's not like that normally. No, I, I'm, I'm not at all upset that he got punched and I, I won't, I won't go too deep into that. Cause I could, I could rant for an hour on, on the, the garbage that came out of his mouth. Well, I think it's safe to say with the way CFLs handled stuff like that in the past, uh, see uh, Christian Jones, um, John Murphy is going to be scouting for talent on Facebook for like the indoor football league, because I don't see him being hired by a CFL team anytime soon. Cause yeah, that is, that is garbage. What Murphy said. And, but BMO field, like, it's, yes, it's better. The Argos are there, but that is not set up for, for CFL football and getting the players off the field in a safe manner. They got to figure something out for the next season because, unfortunately, that's just it's probably going to happen again because some idiot saw it once and wants to make himself famous. That's exactly what he's going to do. Yeah, and in the social media world we live in now, people look for any excuse to make themselves famous. So you're absolutely right. BMO has to make a plan for... 2022 and beyond before the Argos step foot on that field again. So John Murphy suspended indefinitely from the league. Now he won't be fired because coaches and personnel and all that kind of stuff are, are employed by the, by the team. So the team has to do this. They have to go through the investigation with the Toronto police and whatnot. And, and they'll make their decision after that. They'll let the, you know, the police, and the investigation take its course and then they'll fire him after that. But it has to come from them. The league can't do it where Greg, you said, Christian Jones, that uh, it's a little bit different because players are employed by the league contracted to play or to teams. So there's kind of that middleman there. So that's why Christian Jones was essentially let go right away. So a little bit of a, just a little minor detail there, but I fully expect John Murphy to, to get fired. Um, maybe not before Christmas, but shortly after anyway, it'll happen pretty, pretty quick. And especially with a guy like pinball being, uh, you know, the general uh, entitled, the general manager, but basically the guy running the franchise and being the face of the franchise. I can't see how you keep a guy around like that with a guy like pinball. Like that's just not going to happen in my mind. Meanwhile, the officers. So you see, we can interview him. <laughs> yeah hashtag Chris culture jones, john murphy yeah remember when we were so happy that we brought in chris jones and john murphy and everyone's saying that it was john murphy that was the the real deal man i'm glad that he never stuck around here long term I, I think we knew we were in trouble when uh when joe craig jr said he was mowing the grass and he got a facebook message asking him to play from the riders and it was murphy I'm like what hey yeah, i mean However, you can find players. Yeah. No stones unturned yeah. or blades of grass is unmowed. Yes. <laughs> and I uh, want to get to one thing here before we talk about the Grey Cup game itself. And this involves the Grey Cup game. Your favorite referee and mine, Andre Pru, named the, the head official of this Grey Cup game. And that just proves my point that he is the best, maybe of the worst referee in the CFL because you don't get that top game without being graded out as the top ref. So Andre Pru 
graded out as the best referee in the CFL this year and got the game. And I will die on this hill. People only hate him because he learned English for the job and he still doesn't have 100% English. And there's another reason why people hate him kind of based off that. I don't like him because he makes the games really long. I don't know. Something about an Andre Pru game, just it just takes longer. <laughs> but that, that's also a crew issue. So the, the only positive right now is it's not Al goddamn Bradbury. Anything else? Anything else was a win. I was hoping it was going to be a Valesi so we could have a hot mic. Yeah. Timeout and then an F bomb. Yeah. Give me those. Yeah. The, the CFL looked at the, the available refs and said them. So this game, rematch 2019, Winnipeg and Hamilton. This time in Hamilton, maybe the crowd is going to be the equalizer for this game. Before we get to predictions, Winnipeg played their worst game in two years against the Riders and still won. That shows me how good this team is. And I'm going to, I think it's very, very tough for Hamilton, even with 95% of the fans going to be cheering for them to beat them because this Winnipeg team is so well coached. They're so, you know, the players are, are very, very, very good. They're very deep. Hamilton's going to have to play in your perfect guys to win this game. I don't know. It's because I hate Winnipeg. I actually like Hamilton's chances here. Maybe I'm having 2013 flashbacks, but I, I, the way Winnipeg played last week, yeah, they played terrible and they still won. But I think Hamilton has a better offense than we do. I, I think if Hamilton's defense can turn the ball over a couple times, not obviously not six, but a couple times they got a shot. I mean, I feel like if they turn the ball over six times, they have a slightly better chance than, than we did because they have, a, they, they have an accurate or decent offense. I, I think the fact that Dane Evans is getting the start in Hamilton evens the playing field just a little bit more. He's, he's been great for them when he's gotten the chance. Went 16 for 16 last week in, in uh, uh, what do you call it? Really? Coming, coming in for Masoli in the second half. I think he gives them a much better chance to win. You know, if I had to put my house on the line, I'm probably going to put my money on Winnipeg, but I don't think it's, uh, it's as much a guarantee as we would have expected a month ago. And in fact, you've got 27,000 fans that are going to be wearing black and gold or cheering black and gold and like 12 fans that'll be rooting blue. You you might, uh, you know, home field on, Advantage cannot be understated. I find this rematch interesting because we've seen a couple rematches recently in the CFL and the Grey Cup with, uh, I guess, 09 and 10 with the Riders mm-hmm. of Montreal. Both of those super, super close games, obviously, as we know. But the uh, we'll go to Hamilton. Hamilton and Calgary in 1998 and 99. Calgary beat them in 98. And then Hamilton beat them in 99. I think that's actually going to be, you know, one of the players that was on that team for Hamilton was Orlando Steinauer. So I think he's learned a lot from, you know, seeing the same team last year 
And I mean, you probably don't go to too much of that game for this game. But I wouldn't you if still I were kinda, you still you still go back and look at that game. And and I, I Darren Flutie told me the story that um, Ron Lancaster in 1999, very first day of training camp, put on the very final end of the 1998 Grey Cup when Calgary kicked game winning field goal at the end of the game. He put it up on the TV, played that last clip. Once the field goal went in, he turned it off and said, okay, man, let's go to work. And I feel like that's something Orlando Steinhauer would do as well. Just show the guys, this is what happened. We all know it. Let's go to work. Let's go change this. And I think just that calm demeanor of Orlando Steinhauer, I really, really like that about him. But he's, to me, he's one of those silent assassins. He just seems like he has that great football mind that he's not going to let this happen again. So for that reason, I really like Hamilton in this game. And with Winnipeg not playing their best game, yes, they're going to play better in this game than they did last week in, against the Riders. They're, we, we're seeing now that they're beatable. And that bodes well for Hamilton. If Hamilton gets out to a fast start with that crowd at home, game over. To me, that's just like 2013. Yeah, the Riders were down to start the game, but once, you know, that that fumble from uh, Durant going up in the air and and Sheets getting it, after that play, we knew the game was over. We yeah. all knew that was the play that changed the game. Yes, we all knew from there on the Riders were going to win. If Hamilton gets something like that, whether it's a big play, whether it's a turnover and they score seven off of it early in the game, something like that. If they get something like that, this game's over. Now, I, I have a question for you, gentlemen. If you're looking at this game, who has the pressure? Who is under the most pressure? Hamilton to win it at home or Winnipeg because they're the clear favorite? If it was actual back-to-back years, I'd argue Winnipeg. But the fact that Winnipeg has been playing coast into this season, being two-year champions, if you ask their fans, I, I don't think the pressure's on them as much. The, the, the swung song is done. But yeah, Winnipeg is the favorite, but I I don't think Hamilton's feeling the pressure. I think they're enjoying everything that's happening, and I think they're going to come out flying on Sunday. So what I get I think all of, either one. <laughs> I think all the pressure for Winnipeg was last week. They had <laughs> to win that game against the Riders last week. They had to do it at home, and People were saying whoever won that is going to win the Great Cup. And for Hamilton, to me, the pressure's on them because they're at home. This team's in a 22-year drought of not winning. This is their best chance to win. They have to win it this year because if they don't, I mean, I guess they got the Great Cup again in two years, but who knows what that team's going to look like compared, especially if they lose this. They're going to have a lot of changes. They're going to have to because clearly whatever they have isn't getting the job done. So I think the pressure's on Hamilton to win this. All right, so only one thing left to do here on the Piffles podcast this week, and that is get to our predictions. Who wins the Grey Cup? Gentlemen? Hamilton ends their drought, and they get to live their 2013 uh, dreams. I, I hate myself for what I'm about to say, but Winnipeg. 
that's not who I want to win, but that's who I think will be victorious. And that almost kind of reminds me of the 2008 Great Cup, where the Stamps went into Olympic Stadium in Montreal against the, the Alouettes. And Hoffnagel just said, we have 70,000 people going against us. We're in their house. Man, we got them right where we want them. And I feel that's how Winnipeg is. I think Winnipeg is just too well coached. They're just too deep. And as much as I like Dane Evans, and I think he's going to give them their best shot to win for Hamilton, and I really, really want to see Hamilton win at home, because I do believe every fan base should be able to see their team win at home once. After what happened with the Riders 2013, as a sports fan, that was everything. As a Rider fan, that was everything. Like That was the greatest win in, in team history, and I think every team should see that, or every fan should see that. But I think Hamilton has to wait two years for that. I don't think it happens this year. I think Winnipeg repeats. I, I cannot go through another year of listening to Bomber fans. I just can't. I refuse. I refuse. Just just go off social media. Take I'll take Cody with me if I have to. <laughs> well, we'll be back next week to uh, talk about the Grey Cup game. And we we got to talk about these 52 players that the riders have on the free agent list. Cause that's, it's going to be quicker to list the guys that are signed. Cody Fajardo. Yeah. Done. Okay. Moving on. Yeah. And, and uh, I think there's like one other guy. So there, there's a few guys on that list that are going to be s- snapped up before Christmas. Oh like, yeah. Like Logan Ferland is definitely going to, he's, he's one of their future linemen. He, they're not losing him. So I, I, I there's going to be a lot signed shortly after the great cup game. I think. And we'll get into it a little bit next week, but I think just with this being the, we'll call this the COVID season, I guess, in the CFL, just the uncertainty. And I mean, what's the salary cap going to be? There's going to be a lot of, a lot of questions. And yet again, in. CBA talks because it's yep. the CFL and we, we do it every year. Yeah. So we'll get into that next week, but uh, that'll do it for us here on the Piffles podcast this week. Thanks to our friends at Dairy Queen on Elphinstone Street and Sass Drive in Regina for their support, making their show possible. And thanks, as always, to Kathy Festion of Royal Page, Regina Realty, and Churchill Brewing Company for their support, doing everything for this show as well. One more thing before we go, and they're nominated for awards, our friends. The Piffles Bump. Gilbert Band. That's the right. Piffle, the Piffles Bump. This is Ghost Behind Your Mind by Tyler Gilbert with Greg extraing them out. I need to get out of Calgary. The ghost-